Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, between three and 5,000 African Americans were lynched in the South. What is the connection between Christianity's cross and the lynching tree? My guest is Dr. James Cohn. He is the Charles A. Briggs Distinguished Professor of Systematic Theology at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Dr. Cohn is an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. He has written 12 books and 150 articles, and his latest is The Cross and the Lynching Tree that was published uh, earlier in 2012. Dr. Cohn, welcome to Religion for Life. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. Dr. Cohn, how did you come to decide uh, to write this book at this time? Well, you know, this book sort of chose me. Most of the books I have written sort of uh, choose me. I mean, it just says write me. I grew up in the South, and uh, uh, lynching in Arkansas, and lynching was definitely a part of my experience in growing up. Not that I saw any, but I heard my mother and father talk about it and many people in my community, and of course I know something about the history of it. I started writing this book because I wanted to write about the cross, and as more I thought about the cross of Jesus Christ, because I'm a theologian and a minister, and I wanted to deal with the issue of suffering in African American history, and it just naturally that the most visible and terrifying suffering in African-American history, uh, certainly during my time was the lynching experience. And I was 17 years old in 1955 when Emmett Till was lynched in Mississippi. So that experience really gripped me at that time. And the more I thought about the cross and the more I thought about lynching, and the more I read about what the crucifixion meant for uh, Jesus and other marginalized people in the first century Palestine, the more I connected it with lynching. And I began to see that if I am to understand what this cross is about and what the suffering meant for Jesus, I need to see it through the lens and through the image of lynching in the United States. And that's how I began to make that connection between the two. In your book, I found a gripping passage on a description of lynching that, that I, I would like to share to kind of to get the context for people. Um, right. This is, and this is from page 9. It says, By the 1890s, lynching fever gripped the South spreading like cholera, as white communities made blacks their primary target and torture their focus. Burning the black victims slowly for hours was the chief method of torture. 
lynching became a white media spectacle in which prominent newspapers like the Atlanta Constitution announced to the public the place, date, and time of the expected hanging and burning of black victims. Often as many as 10 to 20,000 men, women, and children attended the event. It was a family affair, a ritual celebration of white supremacy, where women and children were often given the first opportunity to torture black victims. Burning black flesh and cutting off genitals, fingers, toes, and ears as souvenirs. Postcards were made from the photographs taken of black victims with white lynchers and onlookers smiling as they struck a pose for the camera. They were sold for 10 to 25 cents to members of the crowd, who then mailed them to relatives and friends, often with the note saying something like this This is the barbecue we had last night. Yes. This this is hard to read without feeling rage. Uh, yes, it is. It was hard to write this book without feeling rage. But at the same time, there are two kinds of feelings you get that I received as I wrote this book. One was the feeling of rage, which you can feel just by listening to that passage. Uh-huh. But the other one was the feeling of hope. That is the conquering of the rage, because. If you allow the rage to consume you, then the rage destroys you. But what the cross does paradoxically, since Jesus went through this, it is possible for Afri- it was possible for African Americans to be terrified and to go through the lynching experience with their relatives, with their friends, but yet at the same time not to be defeated by it. And to not to be defeated was the faith in Jesus that gave them the power to not let anything that anybody else did to them have the last word about their meaning, their purpose in this life. And so that's the hope that comes out of it. So you do have the rage, but you also have the hope that defeats that rage. How many people were lynched in the United States, and what was that time period? Oh, the time period in which lynching was primarily directed toward African Americans was from after the Civil War, usually around 1880, because during the Reconstruction period, which lasted until 1877, the federal troops were in the South to protect blacks. And so in order to uh, uh, be free to deal with black people in the way they wanted to, the South made a deal with the government that we'll grant you a president in in 1877 if you withdraw the federal troops. And they made that deal, and the lynching happened and started taking place after that for two reasons mainly, to keep blacks from voting and to also force them to work on the terms that whites wanted them to do it, as they did during the time of slavery. There were approximately from three to 5,000 African Americans who were lynched during that period. However, their purpose, the purpose of lynching was not to commit genocide against the black community because the South needed them to work. The purpose of lynching was to strike fear, terror in the lives of African Americans 
episode that one, they wouldn't bother to participate in the political process, and two, so that they would work on the terms that whites wanted them to. In many respects, it is very similar to the purpose of Roman crucifixion uh, to uh, create uh, terror and to keep people um, under control. Yes, that's right. That's what was so striking to me, because I read several books about crucifixion, uh, which the Romans did in the first century and afterwards. It was to strike terror. That's why they put those crosses, and they put those crosses and those bodies like Jesus on the cross at those places on uh, where the the subject population, the oppressed of that time, the Jews and others of that time, would be sure to see them. And the purpose of that was to say, if you don't behave, that's what's going to happen to you. And that's what lynching was for African Americans. They wanted African Americans to know that if you don't obey, and if you don't be the way we want you to be, then lynching is what's going to happen to you. James Cohn is my guest. Dr. Cohn is the Charles A. Briggs Distinguished Professor of Systematic Theology at Union Theological Seminary. He's been there for over 40 years. He's written a number of books. His first, Black Theology and Black Power in 1969. Also, Black Theology of Liberation, um, God of the Oppressed. Martin and Malcolm and America, A Dream or a Nightmare, and his most recent is The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Uh, lynching was outside, I, I'm confused about this a little bit, lynching was outside, I think, the established justice system, and yet it wasn't. What, wasn't it illegal? Yes, you see, lynching happened this way. That is to say, lynching was a community act. It was an act that everybody in the white community knew was taking place. And it was done with the support of the southern white community. So the, so the sheriffs and all of the county sheriffs and all of the legal enforcement in the south was just like the community because that was their community too. Now the federal government refused to make lynching a federal crime. The NAACP tried for years and years. No president would come out publicly against lynching. So the federal government did uh, uh, condone lynching by doing nothing about it. And the law in the South was just as the same as the customs in the South. So as long as the federal troops were not there to protect blacks, then both North and South whites could do what they wanted to to blacks because we were a minority population without legal protection, even though the law didn't say you are permitted to, li to lynch black people. And white theologians and the white church did not and, well, still has not made the connection between lynching and the cross or and their faith. And uh, in, in part, it was the, the silence of white theologians that allowed this lynching to continue. Yes, it is. You know, and some of the great ones did not do anything about it. I have a chapter in my book about Reinhold Niebuhr, who 
certainly was one of the most progressive theologians in the history of America in the white community. And for some people, he was the most important theologian in this history. Uh, that can be debated, but no one can debate that in the 20th century, when lynching was at its height, Niebuhr was the most towering theologian in this country. But he did not take a strong stand at all, hardly said a word against lynching. And, of course, others did not either. And so in the South, you could get fired as a theologian, as some did at, at Emory University, uh, several theologians. One came out a little bit to say not to oppose lynching so much, is just say we ought not to be so barbaric in the way we do it. But they okay. fired him. Anytime you, you come out in any way against the morals of the community, you could not stay in that community. You had mentioned uh, in your book, uh, you wrote, Niebuhr had the eyes to see black suffering, but I believe he lacked the heart to feel it as his own. Um, that, that's kind of the sense, isn't it, of not being able to see human beings as your brother and sister. That's right. You see, I think most white ministers and most white theologians, North and South, would have said, Probably many or most of them would have said lynching was wrong, but uh, they see see they didn't regard African Americans with the same empathy, the same feeling as brother or sister, uh, as your child or my child. They didn't regard it as the same, and so a black child and a white child was not considered as equal. And a black person and a white person was not considered an equal, even in the North and all over America. That's why Malcolm X said, uh, you know, Mississippi is America. That's what Malcolm X said. And to some degree, certainly during the lynching time, that was true. This is Religion for Life. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. James Cohn, uh, Charles Briggs Distinguished Professor of Systematic Theology at Union Theological Seminary. His latest book is The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Uh, can you explain the role, Dr. Cohn, of the black church, particularly the spirituals and the strength they provided during this time of lynching and into the civil rights movement? Yes. Uh, see, the black church, because we have been an enslaved people for 246 years, we were in slavery, and after that, of course, that we were segregated and the lynching took place. So you have to have some way. My question was, when I wrote this book, how did African Americans survive the lynching terror? Mm -hmm. How could they raise their children, marry, and, you know, have a community and still live under the of the lynching terror daily. How do you keep your sanity in that kind of context? Well, one way, the only way that they could do it was the church. The church provided for them another way of looking at the world. It enabled them to see in the religion of Christianity a sense a worth in themselves that nobody could take away from them. And when you know that who you are 
is defined by a transcendent power that's found in the cross of Jesus, and that that Savior went through the same thing that you did, then that means that you have somebody with you that conquered death, actually conquered the crucifixion. So, if Jesus, if God could do that for Jesus, God can do that for us. In fact, their identity was so close that they made songs, spirituals, and sermons expressing their faith in the cross. And one of the most powerful songs I heard growing up was, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, African Americans, through the experience of lynching and slavery, found themselves with Jesus as he was crucified. And they concluded that if they can, through their own imagination and spiritual connection with Jesus, be at the foot of his cross when he was crucified and feel their own presence there, then Jesus is with them at the foot of the lynching tree, helping them to conquer the suffering that they were enduring just as God helped Jesus conquer the crucifixion. And just as Jesus was raised, they believed that God raised in them a spirit that could not be defeated by a lynching terror. And so, in that sense, for them, the cross of Jesus uh, redeemed the lynching tree. That's right. The cross redeems the lynching tree, and the lynching tree lets you know what has to be redeemed. And lets you know that that cross was a violent cross. So if God can redeem Jesus from being defeated on the cross, then Jesus and God can redeem African Americans from that lynching tree. You know, I see crosses everywhere where I live here in East Tennessee, on hillsides and store windows, on churches that are present on virtually every block. And you write that for white Christians, the cross has been sentimentalized. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, the cross has been something they hang around their neck, something they place on the altars in their churches, which at the same time, they have a, a church and a service that excludes people. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly during the lynching time, they were excluding people. Now, how can the cross of Jesus Christ be sacred for people who do to African Americans the same thing that the Romans did to Jesus? And I conclude they don't really know. White Christians don't really know what the cross of Jesus is about because you can't identify with the cross of Jesus without identifying with the suffering 
of the victims in this society because Jesus was a victim. And as Jesus was a victim, so those who follow him will most likely be victims too. You can't have the cross as your prominent symbol in church and at the same time not identify with the most marginalized and exploited people in your community. Yeah, you write in your book, the real scandal of the gospel is this, humanity's salvation is revealed in the cross of the condemned criminal Jesus, and humanity's salvation is available only through our solidarity with the crucified people in our midst. Dr. Cohen, anything else is just talk, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, if Christians really read that Bible and really read it with an openness to hear God speak to them, they will know that that cross of Jesus is not one that is easily born. Dr. Cohn is my guest on Religion for Life. He's professor of theology at Union Theological Seminary. His latest book is The Cross and the Lynching Tree. In addition to the black church, it was also the secular black artists, uh, Billie Holiday, uh, Langston Hughes, who also made the connection between the cross and the lynching tree. Yes, when I first discovered, you know, that in my imagination, that connection, it, it almost immediately made me think about the poets because poets, and literary people are reality-seeing artists. They are not like us who often don't want to see the real world. And so, so the people who saw the connection between Jesus' cross and the lynching in the United States, in America, who saw that clearly were not primarily the Christians. It was the secular people who didn't go to church, but they read enough Bible in their homes and were taught by their parents. And when they became poets and began to speak about the reality in that situation, they saw the connection between who they call Savior and the lynching of African Americans. And that's why they began to identify lynch victims with Jesus' cross. You know, this is not something that's just in the past. White supremacy is present today. Um, why is it important that we not forget this part of our history? Because the past is never past, as William Faulkner once put it. It's never past. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's always present with us. Mm -hmm. And, and we, uh, we find different ways to lynch people today. We don't hang them on trees because that's not, that's not too cool. Now, we put them in prisons now. Anytime, in New York, we have a stop and frisk law. You can just stop anybody you want to and make, and, and make up anything you want to them and lock them up. And most of the people who have done that, about 90% of them are African American and Hispanic right here in New York. And so we can find any way to control the population. Lynching is nothing but being able to do to people anything you want to and they have no recourse and the law itself can be turned into a legal lynching and so in many ways the prison industrial system today 
is nothing but a new way of lynching black people. That's why Michelle Alexander wrote her book, The New Jim Crow, talking about ways in which we reinstitute segregation and lynching by locking people up in prisons. And in American prisons, we lock more people up than any other nation in the world. That includes China. That includes Iran. It includes all nations. We lock up more people than anybody percentage-wise. And so we just lynching them, and most of those people are people of color. And you also mentioned, uh, in addition to that, also we think of the Abu Ghraib and the, uh, and the torture of, of people from by American empire. That's right. You know, you know we, we, we have those drones now. We can just drop them and be in Texas or somewhere else and, and drop bombs in, you know, in Pakistan, anywhere we want to drop them. And so, yes, uh, we have a lot of ways in which to humiliate and kill people. Dr. Cohn, you dedicated your book to the memory of black people whose lives were lost on the lynching tree. And in preparation for this interview, I, in addition to reading your book, I also just looked online and just looked up lynching in Tennessee. And I'd just like to mention five of those who were All lynched right. right where I live, right here in the tri-cities of East Tennessee. Uh, Robert Clark uh, in Bristol, June 13, 1891. Thomas Devert lynched in Irwin, Tennessee, May 20th, 1918. John Williams, Mountain City, Tennessee, September 26, 1898. Irwin Roberts lynched Shady Valley, Tennessee, December 17, 1892. And this is the town in which I live, which this broadcast is coming from. Cooksey, Dallas lynched in Johnson City, October 27th, 1920. It brings it right. This isn't a, a long play, a long way away, or a time far back, but right in our own time period. Yes, it is. And you know, and the past is never past. It is always present with us. And if we don't, if we don't remember it, we will simply be condemned to repeat it again. Uh, Dr. Cohn, I'm just about out of time. Do you see? Do you see a sign of hope for America? Yes, I do. You know, I, I, I wrote that book because I felt hope. I don't write out of despair. I write out of hope. But you cannot, the hope has to be carved out of the suffering, not skip over it. So the hope is, is that we Americans, black, white, uh, Hispanic, all kinds of Americans, that we will be able to create that beloved community, that kind of community that would never tolerate exploitation in this, in this land. And I believe we do have that hope, but we have to keep bearing witness to the hope, otherwise the hope will be lost. Dr. James Cohn, the author of an incredibly important book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, has been my guest on Religion for Life. Dr. Cohn, thank you for the book and thank you for the time to talk with me. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion and public life and religion and social justice. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister at the First Presbyterian Church in Elizabethton, Tennessee.
You can find more information about my congregation on the website www.fpcelizabethton.org. You can also find out more about this program and links to podcasts at www.religionforlife.me. Religion for Life is also on Facebook, Twitter, and now on iTunes. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.